Devastating news for Donald Trump is music to my ears. And we got some music playing for you folks. A New York state court judge has granted a preliminary injunction requested by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization requiring an independent financial monitor be hired to review all of Trump's financial representations on a going forward basis. That's a disaster for Donald Trump. (laughs) Trump is spiraling even more out of control as he filed a frivolous and truly incoherent lawsuit against the New York Attorney General Letitia James in Florida State Court, which looks like the rantings and ravings of a madman. Desperate, desperate, Donnie. The DOJ, meanwhile, (laughs) grants Cash Patel something called use immunity to compel him to testify against Donald Trump in the criminal investigation relating to Trump's theft of thousands of government records, including documents that are among the highest level of top secret classified documents in this country. Trump calls for Mitch McConnell's impeachment. You know, just another day. Just Ca- calls for casual, Mitch casual. Impeachment. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't care. We'll talk about it here on the Midas Touch podcast. And early vote numbers are strong for Democrats, like very strong. Let's and go. if Democrats keep turning out, That's the we key. will win. And our guest tonight, the House Majority Whip, a legend. Congressman Jim Clyburn Ooh, joins let's us go. on the Midas Touch Who podcast. Who is booking these guests? Today. Oh my gosh. George book of these guests? Pretty Brett. unbelievable. Yes, Brothers. Ben. Ben, I feel like so much news just dropped right before we went live with the pod. So I know this podcast is basically going to be me and Jordy going, Ben, what does this mean? Ben, what does that mean? (laughs) And I'm totally okay with that because our audience is about to get some truth bombs because, oh boy, what a list of things that you just read. But I'm so excited for the show. We had such an incredible conversation with the House Majority Whip. I'm so excited for everybody here to listen. Jordy, incredible job on that booking, getting a legend House Majority Whip, Jim. Clyburn on the show. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, absolutely incredible. Such an honor to speak with him. Such an honor to have him. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited seeing all the numbers coming out. I I hope everybody had the opportunity to check out our recent interview with Simon Rosenberg, the Democratic strategist who is going over all the target early numbers. We've been speaking about all of his data on the show, and we're going to dig into that data, not poll data, but actual data of physical people showing up at the polls and voting for Democrats. It's all looking very promising, but like Ben said, we got to keep it up every single day. We need to be working hard right now. There's only a few days left to save our democracy, so let's do Do this. Do we post on YouTube yet the video with our our interview on the data? Because people could go and check that out if we posted it. Yes, we posted it actually like about- It's about one hour ago we posted it on our YouTube channel. So head on over to our YouTube channel after 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 this show. (laughs) Watch this show. Listen to the show show. and then check that out. Thanks for clarifying, brothers. And then check that out for for sure. For sure. Okay. So New York State Judge Arthur Engeron grants this preliminary injunction. Let me read you the sexiest parts of his ruling. Because should I, I play such sexy parts in these? I should have, okay. if you if you prepared me, I would have played some sexy music, you know. But now I got nothing. This is what Engeron says in his order. Uh, there was oral argument today, and like Engeron, who by the way, 
this judge from New York who Trump was threatening last week. He called him a communist and said all these other Sexy things about Angeron. Angeron was toying with his lawyers at court today. He's like, huh, maybe I should appoint Judge Raymond Deary as the independent monitor, who's the special master who doesn't like Trump. And I guess that's an inside law <laughs> joke by me. He made a Raymond Deary joke in court. <laughs> he made a he made a Raymond Deary joke about the special master who got appointed in the It's such an F you to Trump. It's, it's such, such an F, an F oh my But here's God. what he said. This is what he goes in his order. He goes, in the absence of an injunction and given Trump's demonstrated propensity to engage in oh, persistent yeah. fraud, oh. Oh, failure yeah. to grant such an injunction could oh, yeah. result in extreme prejudice to the people of New York. How about that statement in uh, in order? Ready? How about this too? Furthermore, given the persistent misrepresentations throughout every one of Mr. Trump's statement of financial conditions between 2011 to 2021, this court finds that the appointment of an independent monitor is the most prudent and narrowly tailored mechanism to ensure there is no fraud or illegality. And what you had, folks, is New York Attorney General so Letitia James putting forward all of these affidavits with very specific facts showing an appraiser appraised the property at, let's say, this was one example of some apartments that Trump claims he owns, $750,000. What did Trump put in his statement of financial condition? Anybody want to guess? Appraiser, $750,000. What did Trump say? $50 million Come said, on. for these $750,000. Close, close. Yeah, right. Um, and and regarding all the other properties, you know, basically the same thing for uh, for Trump's triplex in New York in Trump Tower, the most expensive real estate of, in all of New York at that time was somewhere in the range of like $100 million for an apartment. What did Trump appraise his triplex for? Well, first, he claimed that an 11,000 square foot triplex was actually 33,000 square feet, which was just completely false. But then he said it was somewhere in the range of $350 million, which was like $270 million more than one, like what it should actually be appraised at, but also like... 200 300 million dollars more than like the highest appraised apartment in all of New York at that time. And so what the judge said is look, New York Attorney General Tish James showed he engaged in this fraud, showed that he's engaged in ongoing fraud, and Donald Trump was asked questions in a special proceeding under oath. And the judge quoted the questions he was asked. Well, Donald Trump, you put in your in your uh, financial condition documents, your statement of financial conditions, this valuation. Was that accurate? What did Trump respond, Brett and Jordy? I plead the fifth. I fifth, plead the fifth. fifth he did every question. He pled the fifth. He did not offer, and the judge says this in the order, literally a quote, not a single iota of evidence to rebut the showing by the New York attorney general that there was a probability of success on the merits that she would prevail in the lawsuit that he was engaged in this massive fraud from 2010, 2011 to the president. And by the way, it obviously dates back longer. That's as yeah. long as you can go actually file for. <laughs> and so the judge made the finding, granted the preliminary injunction. And folks, 
this is a devastating order for Trump. I said this was going to happen, but for Donald Trump, appointing an independent monitor who will be literally placed in the Trump organization, appointed by the judge, who is now empowered to ask Trump and get all of his financials, any financial representation made to third parties, any financial representation made to lenders, all of Trump's financial dealings, all of his statements of financial condition. This independent monitor gets to look at it, and if there's anything off, runs right to court for emergency applications and to call it out. Like Trump would rather pay hundred million dollars, then then have this because he can't engage. He can't in hide. He hide now. He, his back's against the wall. There's literally nothing he could do. So, I, ironically, Ben, is this kind of like a special master in in a in a certain way? It sounds like a little similar at the process, which is ironic. It is to the me. ultimate irony, Brett, that <laughs> Trump sought this independent third party thing in the Southern District of Florida proceedings before Eileen Cannon. And she intervened, asserted equitable jurisdiction. By the way, all these other federal judges, if you notice, when all these other Trump lackeys like Lindell and others filed these things trying to invoke equitable jurisdiction, all these federal judges have put like footnotes, like basically just completely shading Judge Eileen Cannon. Like it is beyond the most basic fundamental concept of law. The footnotes are the best not- part. Yeah, when you read the filings, because we'll, we'll post the filings when we post the Ben videos of the breakdowns. When you read the filings, don't just read. I know sometimes when you get a book and you see that there are like little footnotes on the bottom of the book, you're like, yeah, not important. I'll just skip to the next page. Read the footnotes because they are incredibly, incredibly revealing yeah, the, in this case. The, the footnotes are where the judges throw shade. So they'll be like, whereas pursuant <laughs> to the da, 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 footnote to basically like F this guy. <laughs> you know, like that's what they do. But anyway. The special master is appointed in by Judge Eileen Cannon to oversee executive privilege claims. Like that's not where special masters, but that should be appointed. But the same concept of an independent person yeah. looking over things. But here, an independent monitor to be appointed where there is this financial impropriety is actually where you do it. A step further that that New York Attorney General could have gone is asked for a receivership. But that's the next step. A receiver actually takes over the business when it's being conducted for a fraudulent purpose. <laughs> Can you imagine his reaction to that? I but mean, that's one of the things that Trump and his lawyers kept on arguing in court. They kept on <laughs> saying that this was a receiver. And the judge says, no, 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 this isn't a receiver yet. This is an independent monitor. But such a good ruling. Brett, you had finger up. A finger, finger up. That's what you got to do to get attention here. I wanted to bring up the fact that, well, just a week ago or about six days ago, Donald Trump actually took it upon himself to attack this judge. <laughs> he went right after Justice Engeron, um, this judge who signed off on the preliminary in the preliminary injunction. And what did he say here? I'm trying to read it. The only person who may be worse than weak on violent crime, A.G. Letitia Peekaboo James. What a... Oh, yes, douche, this guy is the judge we have on her ridiculous and highly partisan case against me and his family. His name is Arthur Engron, and he is a vicious, biased and mean rubber stamp for the communist takeover of the great and prosperous American company that I have built over a long period of years. He was appointed by my worst enemies case was to go to a new judge but he demands to keep it i have no jury or civil rights i think it goes without saying probably not the best idea to attack the judge who is making rulings on you generally so of course how did donald trump then react to this ruling 
by Justice Angeron. You must have taken it in stride, right? Yes, Your Honor. I understand, Your Honor, right? Is that, is that what he said? Yeah, you, you would think that would be consistent with all of the other conduct that he had. Very <laughs> diplomatic. But no, his deranged statement was, a puppet judge of the New York Attorney General and other sworn enemies of President Trump and the Republican Party has just issued a ruling never before seen anywhere in America. It is communism come to our shores. Businesses will be fleeing New York, which they already are, for other states and other countries. Today's ridiculous ruling by a politically motivated handpicked judge makes it even more vital for courts in both New York and Florida to do the right thing and stop this inquisition. We have to fight back against radical tyranny and save our country. I mean, what a complete utter baby. By the way, receiverships happen literally all the time when there are criminal corporations engaged in criminal conduct where a receiver uh, comes in. By the way, the Trump organization is on criminal trial nearby in uh, Manhattan State Court uh, before another judge. It got delayed because Trump's uh, controller got COVID and started like coughing all over the judge. Like, <laughs> I, I read that story. I was like, uh, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it said like he was coughing, uh, like uh, hocking up a lung, like all yeah. during the morning. And then he, and test, they, he tested at lunch and then they fa- found out yeah. that he had it. Oh, Really, yeah. But in addition to Trump losing, losing there, Trump is spiraling evermore. And he filed this lawsuit against Letitia James, the New York attorney general in Florida, in state court, Florida. I genuinely don't know what he is actually saying in this lawsuit. I did a decent job (laughs) trying to break it down because it appears what he's actually asking for is he doesn't want to turn over in the New York case documents relating to his revocable trust and doesn't want to have any intervention by the New York attorney uh, general. But you have to get down to paragraph 119 and literally listen to these, like what, like read these ranting and ravings of a lunatic where he's like, and everybody knows that Donald Trump is the greatest businessman ever. And that Donald Trump knows everything about business. And Donald Trump is the greatest. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell are you even alleging? And, and Letitia James is a communist agent of the deep state and Antifa. And she needs to be taught a lesson by this guy. I'm like, yo, what in the world is even the allegation? Like, what what are we what are you alleging? What, what is saying? your basis to sue a New York attorney general who is pursuing a civil lawsuit under a New York executive law? I mean, Ben, Florida? he operates like a five-year-old. So it's like, and no offense to five-year-olds, but it's oh, you're suing me, I'll sue you. <laughs> like that's that's isn't this also look, kind of part part of the Trump right? system, Ben? Isn't this also part of this ongoing Trump system of just flooding the court with BS uh court cases that they have to hear? Well, he knew he was going to lose the preliminary injunction hearing today. And so what he needs to do to grift off of his followers, knowing that he was going to have that bad news, and he knew he was going to lose because he pled the fifth, because he's a complete freaking coward and a criminal. So he knew he was going to lose. But now he tells his followers who he grifts on, I filed this lawsuit in Florida. Mm, and then mm. if he loses, he just says, it's the courts. And then the judge is a, is a deep state agent against whatever. Only Donald Trump is right. Everybody else, the scientists, the lawyers, the judges, the experts, the actual business people, you know, the actual people who know. He, he's the only one who has been wrong. Every single thing this idiot has done his entire life, he's bankrupted everything. His whole history is fraud, being sued, and losing. 
He's a failure. He's, he's Fred's failure. This MAGA cult that he that he has the answers. So crazy. I mean, the frustrating thing is we're finding out kind of along all industries and from uh, people uh, running Twitter right now to people in the music industry to Donald Trump, people in politics, uh, that it seems like the bigger the asshole you are and the worse at things that you are, the more a very core group of people seem to like you and defend you every step of the way. And the move is you just don't apologize. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the deeper you go, they go, he's not backing down. And that's kind of what the culture of our politics and just our culture in general in this country mm. has become. And it's so damaging. It is mm. just so damaging out there. But what I want to ask you, Ben, is is there, way, is there a way? Is there a way? Ask Ben. Well, he's the one who knows about courts. I would ask you, Jordy. No, no, no. I, I'm but, being sincere. Ask Ben. Don't ask me. But, I'm not going to be able to answer your question. Unless you want to take this, Jordy. I'll leave it to you. Is there a way to stop these frivolous lawsuits from happening over and over and over again? I know in some states they have like anti-slap laws. I know we saw recently with the Hillary Clinton seeking sanctions against the Trump attorney over their failed conspiracy suit. But how could he just get away with constantly, like Jordy said, flooding the zone with endless frivolous cases over and over and over. There is a situation where someone can be declared by a court as a vexatious litigant. And there are some situations vexatious. where yeah, vexatious. This is, this is a very sexy episode. Hold on. Where, hold on. Vexa, hold on. Hold vexatious. On. vexatious litigant. Are you, are you looking up the definition of vexatious? To, oh, good. Keep, keep going, Ben, please. Explain. There vexatious. are situations where a litigant who goes pro per, meaning Ooh. on their own, doing it solo, and doing it solo <laughs> over and over and over again. Filing they never should have showed me this feature. Follow it, <laughs> filing big, nasty lawsuits with no legal rationale. Vexatious. Vexatious. Okay, we're gonna do it. But the, re- the idea of <laughs> <laughs> we have been canceled. <laughs> but um, a vexatious litigant is someone who files like lawsuits repeatedly. It's usually like a pro per person who will like always just file like these crazy lawsuits over and over and over again. And they keep on losing. And then someone goes, OK, this is a vexatious litigant. They can't file lawsuits anymore. Like Trump's lawsuits are that frivolous that it is essentially on that basis. I wonder if someone will actually bring a vexatious litigant claim against him. It would be hard to prevail because unfortunately he was elected president of the United States, which is like the hardest part to, the hardest part of this all, which is why please vote, 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 and make sure people vote and make sure everybody you know is going to the polls because unfortunately our constitutional structure and everything that we have and hold dear in our legal system has viewed the, the greatest deference to that position of the executive office. And they say that no one is above the law, but the president's powers um, are, you know, significant. And that is, you know, because it was always viewed from the days of George Washington to the current that you wouldn't have just a total criminal lunatic um conspiracy theorists in that position and we've had some bad presidents and we've had some presidents close but nothing like this and so i don't think he'll be declared a vexatious litigant but um he's going to lose this case in florida and 
he is facing over $1 million in sanctions brought by Hillary Clinton and a number of other people who he and Alina Haba sued for civil racketeering and conspiracy back in March of this year. They got that case dismissed. And upon getting dismissed, the judge was like, this case is so frivolous, I'm retaining jurisdiction for sanctions. Mm -hmm. Invitation, invitation accepted. Hillary Clinton and like nine other people who were sued filed it over a million dollars. And Alina Haba is already on TV saying that, you know, Donald Donald Trump said I shouldn't have filed the lawsuit or, you know, she's trying to cover for him, but she's going to be the one ultimately who holds the bag. So I hope Trump is paying her over a million dollars. And you know, you he's know not. Because, and you know, he's not. No, yeah, actually, I don't hope that. I hope that they, you know, and, and by the way, that judge too is going to grant those sanctions. Like you, you can see based on the rulings, people like Ben, you're great at predicting these things. Like, how do you know? Like, cause, cause I read the documents and I see what the judges are saying and I can make, if I could predict other things in life, the same way I could predict the court cases, it's because a lot of lawyers who go on TV and do the shows and are, you know, are other lawyers out there, they don't read the filings. They just like speak from emotions. You know, and what I was told that the best quality of being a lawyer, having a hard ass, meaning literally just sitting in your seat and reading a document until your ass becomes so hard because you've just read all of the documents. There's no substitute for the hard work and doing the reading. You know, you're doing that because I did hard ass. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. It. Vexatious, hard Vexatious. ass. <laughs> all right. But we don't play sexy music for Cash Patel. No. Although use immunity is kind of sexy now that I think about it. We might have to play horror. We might have to play horror music for Cash Patel. Der- um, <laughs> <laughs> derivative derivative use immunity time. So the Department of Justice granted Cash Patel what's called derivative use immunity after he was previously called to testify on October 13th regarding the documents that Donald Trump stole at Mar-a-Lago. Um, but when he testified on October 13th, fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Yet Cash Patel spoke to Breitbart on May 5th and he was like, yeah, man. So like on, on like, he said, what he said, you're doing it as I do the impression. He was like, he was like, yeah. So I was in the room when Donald Trump declassified all of these documents about Russia and all these other documents relating to our national security interests. I, I was there. I saw it happen. So he said all of those things to Breitbart. <laughs> he was actually the person who was appointed by Trump to deal with the National Archives after Trump left. And so one of the things that I did a video on when I read that Breitbart article mm-hmm. that not a lot of people were talking about then, not saying the DOJ watched my video, but I'm saying they may have. Not, not saying that either, that, that video really talks about intent and yeah. that Donald Trump clearly had the intent if he was specifically stealing documents relating to Russia. I'm like, holy crap. He just said it saying he stole documents related to Russia. It's in here in Breitbart. I'm like, no one's talking about this. Like, can we ask him about that, please? And they did, and he pled the fifth. So now they granted him what's called use immunity, which is different than transactional immunity. And use immunity just means that all of his testimony that he gives, 
He's immunized. They can't charge him based on what he testifies before the grand jury. Mm -hmm. And he can't be prosecuted for what is derived from it, derivative use immunity. So if they learn something from him there that they don't get independently, they can't prosecute him for that. But if they have an independent source that shows that he did criminal conduct, I don't know, like he spoke to Breitbart and admitted to the crimes on May 4th or 5th. They can prosecute him for that. That's different than transactional immunity, which is just giving him immunity for the overall crime in response for his testimony. So he could actually still be charged. Also, people go, well, what if he lies? He can be charged with perjury if he lies, even if he's given derivative use immunity or transactional immunity. There you have it. There you have it. That's what I was calling the timeout before. I was getting worried that you weren't going to explain the different types of immunity. I thought you were going to just, you know, so high level it. But I'm glad you were. No, I did it. I did it in two minutes. Brett, you want to talk about this Mitch McConnell thing? I did a lot of legal. So what? Okay. What does this mean with Cash Patel? What this means is he's going to testify soon. He's going to be compelled to testify. It shows that the Department of Justice is very serious about criminal prosecution. This is an aggressive move. We've also heard that the DOJ, this is just breaking right now, that the DOJ may be considering bringing on a special prosecutor as well to prosecute Trump after the midterms. Like, you want to know how recent it broke? Like, literally, as we are, as we are doing this, exclusive from CNN Politics, DOJ mulling potential special counsel if Trump runs in 2024. I just don't get to how CNN can do such a good report like this and then have its opinion people now just be so horrible and just be total MAGA. Like, you know that he engaged in this conduct based on your investigative team, which who knows how long they'll stay at CNN. But then your opinion people have the the weirdest... yeah, I mean, well, are, this, is, that, is that a rhetorical question there, Ben, or can I answer and then I answer and then you say, Jordan, of course, that was rhetorical. Why would you answer that question? No, a- answer it. It gives him clicks. It gives him clicks and it allows them to speak to both to both sides every issue. It allows them to be right and wrong at the same time and both have their paper in, in the mainstream media, have their articles in the mainstream media and always be talked about because they're trying to fulfill both base. They're playing both sides. Here's the thing, too. It's like they have some really good. All all these organizations have some really, 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 really good reporters, really good journalists do really, really good and important investigative work. But when these executives now are looking at their TV networks and and we know because we've you know talked to a lot of people about this issue a lot of people in the industry and stuff every time they try to diagnose the issues they come to the wrong conclusion they come to the conclusion that people want to hear both sides of every issue um and that's the problem with news there's not enough balance but like i've always said You can't have balance between truth and lies. I mean, the things that are coming out of the right wing side, it's not just a different belief or a different perspective that is straight up conspiracy theories. So if you try to balance those two things, as I've said before, they don't balance. They're not. That's why when they say, oh, our country, it's, it's so polarized, America, the United States, it's such a polarized country. I go, but is it, though? Is it really? Because what I see is there's a pro-democracy, pro-normal faction of people that live on one plane. And when you think of polls, you think of two edges, right? You think of the two poles. 
But these people on the right right now aren't even on the same line. They're they're somewhere all the way out here. You don't even know what they're talking about. They're coming. You're, you're talking about a like a, a domestic terrorist attack on the husband of the Speaker of the House, and they go, "It's a gay lover." And you go, "What are you? That's what are you even talking about?" They just invent stuff out of thin air that is so preposterous. And we've spoken about you know the the effect of a big lie and why it's so important to them to make the lie so big, but it's so dangerous when you try to balance those two things when you try and here's to balance the thing, reality Brett, they're coming bullshit. for you, you're not safe no matter where you are like this is the thing too with the kind of country club republican mentality of like hey, you know like i'm too busy to answer the emails i'm at the country club i'm you know like the mitch mcconnell you know and by the way mitch mcconnell is very extreme but you know who, who's that guy too who's now going to become the, uh, they're trying to make him like the uh, the president of Florida University. We've talked about him nonstop. Sass. Ben Sass. Ben, ben Sass. Ben Sass. You know, I mean, they it doesn't unless you are an extremist, like looking shaman, like you gotta be out there. We interviewed too. We're gonna we're gonna play this interview not here on this podcast, but we we did an interview with the Democratic candidate running for Washington's. Third congressional uh, Washington State's third congressional uh, district, um, Marie Glusenkamp Perez, I think is her name. Yeah, yes. Marie Glusenkamp yeah. Perez. And people said, "You got to interview her. You got to interview her. She's running against this guy, Joe Kent, who's like literally every position he takes it to the most extreme. Like to be uh, currently." A, in uh, a MAGA, Brett, do we have this video? I know I was, I know I wasn't gonna, you know, was gonna talk about it, but do we have the ability to play the video that Marie Glusenkamp Perez, who's running as the Democrat in Washington's third, called Joe's Greatest Hits? Like, this is how you have to run now if you are going to be a Republican candidate for Congress. You have that, Brett? I could pull it up if you give me like 30 seconds. I, right, I got I'll give you the third filibuster because I could talk about the opponent that much more. Her opponent refuses to acknowledge that police officers died the day of the insurrection. Her opponent calls these insurrectionists political prisoners. I, I don't want to get too much away. Go go. For it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. When I saw this video, that's why, Brett, I'm sorry to ruin our flow. But like when I saw this ad that um, that Marie Glusenkamp Perez did, on this guy, I was like, I got to interview Marie Glusikan Perez because yes. this is some wild stuff. Here, play this. This is this is Joe Kent who is running as the MAGA handpicked candidate in Washington's third congressional. I have my issues with the way the last election went. It was stolen. It was rigged. We are in a war with the left. We are in a war with the establishment, too. The national security state has been weaponized against us at the behest of the progressive left and the globalists. Connections to right-wing extremists, including a member of the Proud Boys, courted white nationalists. I don't think there's anything wrong with there being a, like, white people, like, special interest group. The blame for what happened on January 6th, none of this is on President Trump. I mean, it, it reeks of an absolute intelligence operation. 
I, I 100% uh, support Roe versus Wade being overturned. I would move to have a national ban on abortion. Privatized, high-interest, tax-free savings plan that's managed on, on the private sector, on Wall Street, is a much better option for Social Security. The folks in Congress right now, like Matt Gates, I think has been absolutely unapologetic. Marjorie Taylor Greene's another one. She's a, a great fighter. We have to realize that we're, we're bringing the national security state to heal must be our top priority. We're going to go after AG Garland, impeaching Joe Biden. We are in very dangerous waters right now, unprecedented. We've never been here before. This guy was handpicked by Trump to run because the pride, there was a Republican who was in Washington third. It's a very moderate district, Washington state's third congressional district. And the individual uh, who, who was, who was the Congresswoman there, she had called out uh, Donald Trump and she had voted for his impeachment. So then they got Joe Kent in there. Who's like the most extremist, but Brett talk about Mitch McConnell. Yeah, and first I'll, I'll just say uh, we're going to have our interview with Marie uh, Glusenkamp-Perez. That's going to be out. Uh, we're actually going to release it over the weekend this Saturday because we got midterms coming up. We can't take days off right now. No so you could off. hear that interview this Saturday, and we'll also have the video dropping on Saturday as well. So let's talk about Mitch McConnell. As everybody knows, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell have, have been in this feud. Honestly, it's it's very much Mitch McConnell's fault. He could have ended this issue by rallying people to impeach Trump during both impeachments, but especially the second impeachment, and he chose not to. And so now he is left with Donald Trump being on him every single day. And so Donald Trump went on one of these like MAGA radio shows. I, I, I don't every time I see some of these clips, it's just funny also that Donald Trump is no longer invited on any like the mainstream, uh, you know, network. No, like, they're, they're too scared that he'll get them sued. sued. Like, yeah. they, like Fox really doesn't have him on. He's anymore. a like, liability. He really is. So he's on this MAGA dude, John Frederick show. And he takes that opportunity to attack Mitch McConnell like three days before the midterm election. And he says that we should actually that Republicans should impeach Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump accused McConnell of working with the Democrats to blow up the debt ceiling because they, quote, have something on him. Trump didn't really say exactly what that meant. I have no idea what any of that means. I mean, it's a little scary that Donald Trump was president of the United States for a lot of reasons, but it's also scary that he was president of the United States and does not know that you cannot impeach a senator. That's not something that that yeah. even happens. Um, but you know, when when Trump is doing all of these things, though, I think he is really just rallying his supporters, rallying his violent mob to get them angry and get them on the attack and also to have somebody to blame and be angry when things don't work out mm -hmm. their way. Let, let's play this clip of Trump talking about Mitch McConnell on this radio show. The Democrats are scheming probably with some of the rhinos in order to blow the debt ceiling up. Uh, what is your position on that? It's crazy what's happening with this debt ceiling. Mitch McConnell keeps allowing to have it. I mean, they ought to impeach Mitch McConnell if he allows that. They, frankly, Mitch McConnell, something has to be, they have something on him. How he approves this thing is incredible. 
I don't even know what he's talking about, but we've already heard that the Republican plan this is something that Kevin McCarthy has said. What they want to do if they get a hold of the Congress is they want to basically hold our government hostage in order to cut social programs like Social Security and like Medicare. They you know, want to refuse to raise the debt ceiling and they want our government to default on its debts, which would lower our credit rating. It would be absolutely devastating for the economy. And they want to hold that up. They want to basically be extort and blackmail the American people and the Democrats and say, if you don't do this, if you don't make cuts to Social Security or eliminate Social Security or eliminate Medicare or take away the CHIPS Act, they're going to attack all the accomplishments of the Biden administration. Then we are going to have our government default. That's what they plan to do. Like the thing that people need to realize is that Republicans, if if they were to win, and we're not going to let them win, if they were to win, their plan is not to fix things. Their plan is going to be to make things as bad as possible so they could then blame it on the Democrats mm-hmm. and then try to ride that exactly. wave into a 2024 win. I thought Bill Clinton, uh, but you know, he, he had a point to, to that effect the other day when he was on the campaign trail uh, saying that is the general, uh, you know, Republican strategy. And it was kind of the, the rant uh, that I went on uh, the other day as well. But that's why it's good to see President Biden out there, you know, calling this what it is, actually calling out this political violence. Mm-hmm. And it was honestly just really great to see him lay out the stakes of this. I thought he did it in a really bipartisan way. I thought it was very presidential. He called, what is it, Jordy? Wait, wait, but, but before we move on, I just want to, because words matter, and I think I think I, w- I want to clarify this, at least on my end, and I'm not sticking up for Mitch McConnell. I don't think him and Trump have a feud because that would make it so two people are fighting. Trump is just bullying Mitch McConnell at this point because Mitch McConnell isn't standing up to Trump and calling him crazy and doing the things that he can do with his power to stop the nonsense. So I, I wouldn't McConnell, call it a feud. I would just say yeah, I, th- McConnell. I, th- I think McConnell's a guy who sort of plays in the shadows, right? I, I think he's a sort of guy who will take the punches in public and will do what he can in the background of things to say F you to Trump. I kind of think that's how he operates just kind of, you know, generally. Um, but it'll be interesting to, you know, to, to see what happens. But, you know, I'm, at the end of the day, Donald Trump is an incredible threat to the country. These Republicans are an incredible threat to the country because they've really abandoned the principles that our country was founded on. They've really abandoned the whole notion that we are a democracy. You now hear a constant refrain, we're not a democracy. What are you talking about? Democracy is bad. We're a constitutional republic. I mean, that's like saying it's not a sandwich. It's a hoagie. It's like, all right, calm down. It's not a sandwich. It's a roast beef sandwich. Uh, okay, it's a type of sandwich, though. Um, and you have these Republicans that are really now they're they're highlighting political violence as a means to their ends. They are being you know in- incredibly violent. They are riling up their people. And the second their people actually go, it's this idea of stochastic terrorism. But once this person builds themselves up, thinks of themselves as a hero, and then actually goes and commits the act of violence that they were told to do, what do these MAGAs do? They are cowards. They go, oh, he wasn't one of us. That was Antifa. That was this. That was that. They never are able to actually take responsibility. And I always have to imagine, like, it's hard to find levity in any of these horrific moments. 
But could you imagine like being this thing, like the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi and thought he was doing this as like, I'm the, you know, the MAGA guy, I'm going to do this for my, my brothers in MAGA. And he goes, and then the way they turn on him and smear him, you know, it's like the Ray Epps thing. Uh, the Ray Epps guy who uh, was out the night before saying, we're going to storm the Capitol on January 6th. And the whole right wing ecosystem ended up going, he's an FBI agent. That guy's a fraud. It's like, dude, he's one of you man like all these people just get thrown under the bus by them every single time but a couple of lines that i want to uh, talk about from president biden quickly uh the speech that he gave last night which i thought was incredible it was held at union station in, in washington dc uh you know just blocks from the u.s capitol where of course the insurrectionists tried to attack or did attack and tried to stop the certification of the 2020 election and in in no uncertain terms biden said we cannot take democracy for granted any longer. And I think he really spoke to the fears that people have of this democracy. I mean, I think people are looking at the polls. They're, they're, people are very concerned. I know everybody who I speak to is very concerned about the fate of our country, kind of above almost everything else. And Biden said, there's something else at stake here. Our democracy itself is at stake. And he called out Donald Trump too. He said, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president, I love when he breaks that out, refused to accept the results of the 2020 election. He refuses to accept the will of the people. He refuses to accept the fact that he lost. He's abused his power. And, you know, the reaction from the right was as expected. They go, oh, divisive. Oh, how could you? But if you really listen to the words of that speech as an, as an honest, genuine, objective observer, you could come to no other conclusion that that was a speech about what makes America America. And as we've said before, the reactions to these speeches when President Biden condemns autocracy and condemns fascism, the people that are the loudest and the people that are first to complain about those speeches are really at the end of the day telling on themselves. Because if somebody says, you know what, we want to prevent fascism and autocracy in this country, and you go, stop talking about me like that, uh, you told on yourself. As, DJ, as the great DJ Khaled said, you played yourself. <laughs> nice. Okay, Ari Melbourne. <laughs> right. Jordan. Benjamin. Benjamin. I, I, I'm with you, Brett. And just tell us about the early voting numbers because I got Jim Clyburn ready to go. All right, let's go into the early voting numbers quickly and we'll get to Jim Clyburn. The data is really good, guys. The data is really, really, really good now. And we don't say this to instill false hope and we don't say this to lull anybody in complacency. We, stay that, we say this to make sure that we stay on track here and yes. that we continue to get out there and continue to vote. This should not slow a single person down. I wanted to motivate you to further get out there and to know that we can win this. Here's their early vote update. And this comes from Simon Rosenberg, who's been who's been checking out the data from Target early. And once again, after this show, go check out on our YouTube or our podcast. You can listen to our interview with Simon Rosenberg. So right now, Democrats are leading in the early vote 50 to 39. And this are the way the Target early data works is it doesn't know who people are actually voting for, but it could see who is turning in ballots. Are Democrats turning in ballots? Are Republicans turning in ballots? Are unaffiliateds turning in ballots? At this moment in time, the Democrats hold a 3.2 million national vote 
lead. And states that have a Democratic share above the 2020 share, there are a lot of them and a lot of important states. And here is it by net increase, okay? Michigan has a 22-point net increase over the Democratic share from 2020. New Jersey, 15 points. Wisconsin, 14 points. Georgia, 12. Pennsylvania, 12. Iowa, 10. Indiana, 10. Ohio, 9. Virginia, 8. Minnesota, 7. Texas, 6. And it goes on and on from there. That's all great news. Democrats now have a bigger lead in the early and male voting in North Carolina than they did at this point in 2020. Young Democrats in Georgia have cast over 10,000 more ballots than they had at this point in 2010 and 2018. Though young voter turnout is lagging slightly in some states, like in Texas, it's lagging a little bit. And people are attributing that to the SB1 law, which passed, because that actually outlawed 24-hour voting, early voting, late voting. And so think about if you're a student and if you have a job, if you're working all day, if you're in class all day, they have prevented people from going to the polls at those off hours that they used to be able to go to the polls to. So that's an example of voter suppression at work right there. But we're also seeing these great videos, though. They've also, by the way, they've closed a lot of the polls at college campuses in Texas, which is super messed up. But the places where the polls are open, I mean, we are seeing such good signs out there. I'm going to play this video for the people watching. And this is a video of a line of voters at, I believe this is... UT Austin waiting to vote early and the line just goes on and on and on. That's what I like to see. People. You know what, though? I like to see it, Brett, but it is so absurd when it is actually so easy to vote. So but what true. you're watching so there is exactly what they're trying to make students yep. to do in Texas. Yep. Because if you actually let those students vote and say probably more than like one machine or two machines that Definitely. they all have to wait in a line for, and you actually just opened it up to let the people freaking vote, let the people freaking vote. Okay, like it's crazy. How could you be like? And that's the thing, too. Like when your position is not letting people vote, you are the most cowardly, freaking anti-democratic, anti-democracy, small d democratic. It is absurd. And I'm yes, Brett, that is a great sign, that video that you just showed. But that is an absurd thing that in the United States of America, we are forcing people to wait on the line because I bet you there are tons of people who look at that and go, I don't want to wait on that line, you know, and then they go, no, you've got to go on that line. It's beyond absurd that that exists, that we don't come up with ways between, you know, e-voting, you know, which exists in other countries. And like, there's so many other ways to vote and Republicans want that process. It, it, it boils my blood. Anything else you want to say there, Brett? Cause I want to bring in Jim Clyburn. If, if you got any more updates. Now, I, I want to say, uh, f- first, you have all these BS Republican complaints that go, it's ridiculous that so many of these states can't get the vote to us the night of the election. Meanwhile, Republicans are the ones who refuse to pass laws that allow vote counters to start counting votes as they receive the votes and force them to wait until the polls, cl- polls yeah, close. Yeah. So this is an example of Republicans creating a problem, then using that problem to spread disinformation <laughs> and spread propaganda and to inject further doubt in our elections. And you see a lot of big voice in the Republican Party starting to spread this disinformation about we need us, you know, they're sort of doing a stop the count, stop the count kind of thing right now. And I think that shows to me a little bit of a sign of panic coming from their side. And what we have to hope right now is that with this giant difference right now that we are making in the early vote, we have to hope that we dig such a hole that Republicans cannot come out of it 
on the day. And we need to make sure that people continue to show up. And as Simon Rosenberg told us, the more people who early vote, it makes it easier for other people to then vote later on. It actually increases turnout overall because it actually allows people, the Democratic Party, groups, campaigns, to then target those lower propensity voters and get them out to the polls, which increases turnout. And so what we got to hope right now is that we are building a tidal wave. We are building a blue wave. And that what we are not seeing right now is that moment like uh, before a tsunami when like the ocean gets pulled out and you're like, where are all the, look at all this land. Where did all the water go? And then you get slammed. We want to make sure that that's not what's going to happen to us on the Republican side. And the way we defeat that is by making sure we show up early, vote early. And everybody who listens to this podcast, just text like, five friends and tell them to get to the polls wherever you are. It's so important everywhere. Now I'm really excited to get into our interview with the House Majority Whip, Jim Clyburn. Wait, 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 before, wait, 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 before getting into the champion of democracy, Jim Clyburn, I want to remind everybody that if you support independent media like this, you need to check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. We are not funded by any outside investors at all. So none of the billionaire and millionaire outside investors who fund the both sideism media and the pro-fascist media. We are purely fueled by democracy and powered by your generosity. So when you ask, I get all the emails and the DMs, Ben, what can I do to help no matter where you are in the world? That's what I'm asking you to do. If you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, there are a number of different memberships that you can join that has exclusive content, exclusive podcasts, exclusive Q&A sessions there, exclusive merch. There's a, a tier where you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast. Your name will appear and you will get a poster commemorating being an honorary producer for those this watching. keeps growing. Right now you see the names. It keeps on growing. We are almost at 2,000 patrons, which was our goal by the end of November. Let's hit that goal right now. And by joining patreon.com slash Midas Touch, please, if you can help wherever you are in the world, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Jordy is showing for those who are listening, but those who are watching, seeing it, the I Read Band Books shirt, which you can get exclusively at the Midas Touch store at store.midastouch.com, the best pro-democracy gear. We got the shirt that Jordy's wearing. We've got Convict or Convict 45 shirts. We've got a number of other great shirts like Person, Woman, Man, Camera, Prison. A great day to buy that. Rovember and row, row your votes for those shirts. We have a 30% off flash sale for just the Rovember and row, row. Your vote shirt. So go and get that now at store.midastouch.com. And now let's bring in our interview with the legendary, legendary. pro democracy yes. champion, yes. Jim Clyburn. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Congressman Jim Clyburn, representing South Carolina's 6th Congressional District. Congressman Clyburn, of course, is the majority whip and the third ranking Democrat in the United States House of Representatives. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Congressman. Thank you very much for having me. 
So, Congressman, you're back in South Carolina after traveling to seven different states over the last 13 days to support Democratic congressional candidates. What is your takeaway about how people are feeling about the midterms after your travels? Well, I feel much better uh, after this trip uh, than I did before the trip. And I'm hopeful that I can feel a little bit better uh, after uh, the results come in next week. Uh, I don't know uh, that we're exactly uh, where we need to be yet. We're in a much better place today uh, than we were uh, a few days ago. Uh, and hopefully we'll be in an uh, even better place uh, next week. Upbeat, uh, cautiously optimistic uh, that we can hold on uh, to the House and gain the Senate. Now, the reason I always say gain the Senate because people keep saying that we're in charge uh, of the Senate. Uh, we can organize the Senate because we can break a tie on the floor uh, with the um, uh, vice president. In the committees, a tie vote uh, will not prevail. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are uh, really in charge of the floor, but not the committee. And most committee work, uh, or most work in the Senate is done in the committees. And what we need is a definitive 51, 52 votes uh, in the Senate uh, before we can be in charge. So when you're out there and you're speaking to voters, um, what are the kind of top issues that come to mind that people are speaking to you about right now? Well, believe it or not, uh, people may talk about their personal uh, issues. Some may be talking about Roe v. Wade and it, the overturning Roe v. Wade, a lot of people are talking about uh, the economy, uh, whether or not uh, inflation uh, is out of hand. But everybody is talking about this democracy. I'm amazed uh, at the number of people who really feel that none of this is going to matter if we lose the country. And for us to think that we can't lose the country, I'll just ask you to be informed by history. I don't know that anybody in Germany felt that when they elected Adolf Hitler to be their chancellor, uh, that within years they would have a dictator. They allowed Hitler to discredit the press, allowed him to co-opt religion, religious institutions. Next thing we knew, Germany was gone. This 45 took that playbook. And that's what's going on today. And I don't understand why people can't see that. Well, I think, as you say, Congressman, the people who are speaking to you see that. One of the questions that I always have is, why doesn't the press see that? And why is the media often just having these discussions like you have two normal political parties who just take different sides of the issue where, and I want to get your take on this, I feel like we only have one major political party, and that's the Democratic Party that supports democracy today. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely correct. And more and more people are now saying that. And you're right. At the beginning, you would hear people say all the time, well, it's on both sides. It's not on both sides. The fact of the matter is, that's why you see Liz Cheney out there supporting 
a Democrat today, another Democrat on yesterday or the day before, because she knows that it is the Democratic Party that is going to save this democracy if it is saved. The Republican Party has given over its, all of its independence to one person. That is an autocracy. They are giving everything to one person. They are not doing anything in a collective fashion. And Liz Cheney sees that, she understands that, and that's where we are. And we had better be careful. When I look back at my parents, who were Republicans, they were members of the party of Lincoln. When I went off to college, I thought I was. But I wasn't there long. I graduated high school in 1957. It was in 1957 that Strom Thurmond started out his record-setting filibuster. It was against the 1957 Civil Rights Act, which was just a principle. That's when I first started noticing that this was not uh, my father's Republican Party. Now, he at the time was a Democrat, but he left the party over civil rights. He resigned from the Democratic Party and took a lot of other uh, Democrats with him, and they all took over the Republican Party, where my father and other Blacks were, and they took the party from there. And they have turned it in to what we see today. It just didn't start with Donald Trump. Right. It started a long time before Trump. Go back and look at Dwight Eisenhower. When Dwight Eisenhower was president, his vice president was Richard Nixon. And someone asked Eisenhower one day uh, uh, to give them uh, the, his impression uh, of what contributions that Richard Nixon had made uh, to his administration. He asked for some time to think about it. Never answered the question. So this started way back then. And then in 1972, Richard Nixon laid out his Southern strategy. Southern strategy meant race baiting. And they have gone downhill ever since. And so I said to my Republican friends, the history is very clear that you guys have taken on something that we thought this country had gotten beyond. No, and Congressman, you were, you uh, mentioned Strom Thurmond, a uh, senator from South Carolina. You're a Congress member from South Carolina. And Strom Thurmond was replaced by Lindsey Graham. And when I grew up and I went to college and I saw Lindsey Graham and McCain, you know, I always viewed, you know, Lindsey Graham as somewhat of a breath of fresh air from a Strom Thurmond. And I thought he was a moderate individual. He's someone who you know well, but it seems every single day he's out there. Lindsey Graham spreading conspiracies and avoiding speaking about January 6th, a certain speech and debate privilege not to testify about his communications about an insurrection with uh, with Trump. And so what do you think about that? I know, you know, you know, like a Lindsey Graham and like like what happened and how do you how do you make sense of that with someone who who, you know, well out there? You know, it's a very good question. 
and I do not have a good answer. Like you, I was elated when Lindsey Graham got elected to the United States Senate. Although I got along very well uh, with Strom Thurmond, his sister Gertrude was a very good friend of mine, and we worked together uh, early on in our careers. Uh, and Strom always talked about how well his sister uh, thought of me. Uh, and um, that was the basis of our relationship. But I knew Strom Thurmond and his politics uh, from the 1950s. Uh, and then uh, Lindsey gets elected to his seat. And I really, really uh, was anxiously uh, awaiting uh, his um, service. And we do work together even now. Uh, when we were trying to get uh, a Supreme Court justice uh, from South Carolina, uh, we worked very closely together on that. Uh, and uh, we have worked closely together uh, on the infrastructure bill that we have. Lindsay voted for that and helped work to put that together. Uh, but for some strange reason, he has this dual personality uh, when it comes to politics, and, and I don't understand it. And Congressman, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Brett to ask some questions, and we definitely want to hear, too, about uh, what your thoughts are of 2022 versus 2020. But I have to ask you this one, which you may get asked a lot, but after everything you've heard from the January 6th committee being laid out and all you know, do you believe Donald Trump should be criminally prosecuted for January 6th and election interference? Yes, I do. But I have not just come to that because of January 6th committee, though I think you may know Bennett Thompson is probably my closest friend in the United States Congress. And that happened long before we came to Congress. We knew each other for 20 years before we served together in the Congress. And I think he's done a remarkable job with the January 6th committee. But I often tell people to go back and look at the comments I made uh, back in 20, I think it was 18, uh, just before um, uh, Donald Trump made his joint a speech or his speech to the joint committee, uh, a joint session. It was not a state of the state address. The night before, I was on CNN television. We're talking with Don Lemon. And Don Lemon asked me a question that night. And I said to him, I said, Look, this guy is not planning to give up this office. Mm -hmm. He is laying the groundwork to install himself. I saw what was happening in this country and I was able to compare it with the things I'd studied about what went on in Germany. And I told him that. So Donald Lemon asked me the question, are you saying that Donald Trump uh, is Adolf Hitler? I says, no, Putin is Hitler. Donald Trump is Mussolini. That made headlines in South Carolina, and a lot of people uh, looked at me aghast for having said it. I meant it then, and I think that all the proof is now being unfolded to the American people. In fact, Joe Scarborough on his show, after Donald Trump came out of the uh, Walter Reed Hospital that night, after his bat with COVID-19, went up on the Truman balcony, and looked out over with a wave, Joe Scarborough called it a Mussolini stance. Yep. I said it back then, I meant it then, 
I think he has committed a multitude of crimes. Whether or not the Department of Justice will do what is necessary to bring him to justice, I don't know. And sir, you were in the room with Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on January 6th during that harrowing footage that was recently released by the January 6th committee. What was it like being there in the heat of the moment? What was going through your mind? Could you take us back to that incident? It was surreal, literally surreal. I'm sitting there and we're looking at the TV monitor. And I remember Nancy uh, looking over at me and says, can you believe this? I happen to remember that because I saw it uh, on the video. And I remember what I said to her. I said, I said Nancy, she, she said something to me about the National Guard. I said, we got to do something about the National Guard. Uh, it can't be done by the uh, District of Columbia because I had already been told by friends of mine who worked in the District of Columbia uh, that their authority with the National Guard had been taken away. Wow. And that they did not have the ability uh, to bring out the National Guard. That rested with the White House. That, to me, is an indication that things were being put in place. That's why so many of those insurrectionists could say, these people are on our side. They knew that things had been laid, the foundation had been put in place for them to do things and get away with it. And so I was the one that said to Nancy, call uh, the governor of Virginia. Uh, Steny Hoyer got on the phone and called the governor of Maryland. And I said to Nancy, as we know, uh, I, I like Hogan, uh, but I'm not too sure uh, of his uh, bipartisanship here. Call uh, over to the governor of, of Virginia uh, and see what we can get done over there. So uh, I said that to her, and she did. You may recall in one of those uh, videos, she was on the phone with the governor of Virginia. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I did notice in that video also and multiple videos is that alongside you were many of your Republican colleagues and these same Republican colleagues of yours later went on television and their social media platforms and various podcasts and they lied about what happened that day, despite being in the room in the heat of the moment fearing for their lives right alongside you and the speaker and Chuck Schumer. What do you say to those Republican colleagues who were in the heat of the moment with you and then got out there and lied to the American public and in some cases blamed Speaker Pelosi for the attack? You're exactly right, Brett. And uh, I really, that to me was one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen. Even when I first heard it, Steve Scalise, was one of the people who said it. Steve and I carried on a pretty positive relationship. As you know, our chair, and he's a ranking member on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus, and we have a very good working relationship. But for some strange reason, I think they've made some decision that they've got to politicize everything, no matter what it is. The country's welfare is secondary to their political success. That, to me, is dangerous. Whatever it is, the country must come first. Country must be above 
uh, policy. Country or people must be above politics. But they seem to decide uh, that irrespective of what the people's needs may be, what the country's problems may be, they got to make it political. And of course, when we speak about January 6th, we're not just speaking about an incident that occurred in the past. This is not some historic incident. This is something that is active. This is something that Republicans are engaging with right now as far as election interference as to trying to kind of end our future elections. And I saw you recently say, quote, these midterms are about who gets to vote in the future and the credibility of future elections. Can you elaborate on that point and lay out the stakes of these upcoming midterms? Oh, sure. The moment the Supreme Court made its decision in the Holder decision, in that case, the Supreme Court took away the, the protections that have been there since 1965 over the integrity of the vote. Before 1965, I remember my parents not being able to register the vote, both of whom were college students. My father, a minister, my mother, a businesswoman. Why? Because things like not being able to tell how many jelly beans were in a jar was the kind of things being used. How many bubbles in a bar of soap. These were things that were used in the South to deny people the right to vote. Give me your interpretation or the or, or interpretation to my satisfaction of the Constitution. These things were outlawed, poll taxes, by the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The moment that protection got turned away, these states came up with other innovative ideas, putting in place a committee that will have the right to overturn election results. That's what they did in Georgia and Texas, putting together a law that makes it a criminal act to give somebody a bottle of water, standing in line for five or six miles hours waiting to vote. And if you give them a bottle of water, you have committed a criminal act. That's what I mean when I say that. And one of them taking place while standing in line to vote. The other one that I mentioned before takes place when you're sitting at home looking at the results of your vote. And you watch some committee saying, I'm overturning the, the results of your vote because I don't like the outcome. That is the kind of stuff of which autocracies are made. That is what I meant. And with our democracy at such risk right now, and with all the division that we are facing and all the lies that we are seeing from the right, what will it take to actually bring this country back to a place of relative normalcy again? At least two definitive elections. I think that's what it's going to take. I think next Tuesday, the results of next Tuesday will go a long way toward determining whether or not 
a foundation will be laid for this country to come to its senses. I just don't think it's going to happen otherwise. Why do I feel that way? Because I think that what happened in 1964, when Goldwater contested for the presidency against Lyndon Johnson, remember what was going on in 1964? You guys are too young to remember, but I was around. In 1964, we had Lyndon Johnson running for president on his own. We had just had the president of the United States of America assassinated in uh, Dallas, Texas. We just had people surrounding that assassination. James Earl Ray, Earl Ray and was that Jack Ruby. Shady characters that nobody ever uh, had been able to figure out exactly what it was. And we still in the country not saying everything that needs to be said about that. Some shady stuff took place around that assassination. Lyndon Johnson tried in 1964 to get the Civil Rights Act passed and couldn't get it passed. In order to get that bill passed, he took voting out of it took housing out of it. Two critical things. You build wealth quicker but with housing than anything else. And to keep, they didn't want us to have fair housing. Didn't want us uh, to have uh, uh, voting. And so Lyndon Johnson went out to the public. He says, I can't get it done. Give me a Congress, a House, and a Senate. And we'll do it next year. He got the House and the Senate that he wanted. And in August the 6th, 1965, he was able to sign the Voting Rights Act. In 1968, we got the Fair Housing Law. In 1972, the Civil Rights Act applied to the private, uh, to the public sector as well as the private. That was because we had a definitive election in 64. That is what it's going to take, a definitive election. If this election is real close either way, we're going to have a problem going forward. And that's why these elections and all elections are so important. It's not just about the next two years, but it is generational change that could occur with every single election. And you understand that every time we just saw you out on the campaign trail recently. And of course, in 2020, you famously endorsed President Biden at a pivotal moment before the South Carolina primaries. Uh, look, reflecting back at that endorsement, has President Biden met the expectations of your endorsement? Absolutely, absolutely. And one of my uh, most valuable um, advisors, political advisors, my late wife said to me, uh, May of 2020, no, I'm sorry, May of, yeah, 2020, uh, 2019, May of 2019, just before she passed away, uh, she said to me, if we want to win this election, we'd better nominate Joe Biden. Now, Emily uh, was a medical librarian at the VA hospital here in Columbia. She used to go through all those wards talking to people. She could tell me who was going to win every election. And she did. 
She never missed an election. Even my own. When I ran for Secretary of State, she told me that she thought I was running a good campaign and I should keep running a good campaign. But she said, get prepared because you're not going to win. <laughs> Run good, but you're not going to win. And of course, I lost. So when she will say that to her own husband, and then she said, if we want to win this election, we better nominate Joe Biden. So that was behind all of that. Okay. Now, a lot of things took place uh, between her death in September 2019 to that endorsement uh, in February 2020, but that was behind it. Did he, has he lived up to my expectations? Yes, he has. Because he found a country with people dying in record numbers, being hospitalized all over the place, businesses shuttered, schools closed. He passed the Rescue Act. He signed that bill six weeks after he became president. Schools reopened, businesses uh, reopened, people went back to work, got cash in people's pockets and got shots in people's arms. He did what was necessary to get things back on track. And then we passed the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. And we had the biggest investment, infrastructure investment that we had in this country since Dwight Eisenhower in the state highway. That's a fact, go back and check. And then we went on to do uh, the so-called Chips and Science Act, Inflation Reduction Act, the PAC Act, the Safer Communities Act. You get into all of that and you say, when have we had anything like that? You got to go back to 1965. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society is the first time you find anything like what this man has done when you look at history. And it's all weighted together. Remember now, in 1965, you got Medicaid and Medicare. It's in this bill, the Efficient Reduction Act, is when we finally got the ability for Medicare to negotiate for the price of, of, of drugs, for the cost of drugs. We finally got the ability to put a cap on insulin. Emily lost a battle, a 30-year battle, with diabetes when she passed away. I saw her insulin bill, sometimes $800 a month for insulin, for a medicine that's been around for 100 years. This country got access to the pattern for $1. The guy who came up with insulin did not want to make a profit of people's misery. He sold the pattern for $1. And then we give the ability to these drug companies to sell it for whatever they want to. We took that away, at least now for people on Medicare, when the bill passed the House, we did it for everybody. That's why this election is important because we need to do that for everybody. Children are being born with diabetes every day. Why Joe Biden had the vision 
to let us out. We didn't just take care of the PAC Act of the soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. We went back and picked up those soldiers who didn't, got, uh, didn't get everything they need from Vietnam, Agent Orange. A lot of people got 30, 40, and 50% uh, disability when they should have been getting 80, 90, and 100. And I know it's working because I got stopped in the morning hour the other day, coming out of a church, a man reached out and grabbed me by the arm. He says, I came out of Vietnam uh, with Agent Orange. It's caused leukemia uh, that I just got diagnosed with. I never got more than 50%. I went last week. They gave me 100%. Thank you. The PAC Act is working. So Joe Biden has made it. So no, I'm very happy with what he has done. But you know who's not happy? Those people who want pharmaceutical companies to continue charging anything they want to charge. That's why they want uh, to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. And that's why they want to repeal uh, stuff in the uh, so-called uh, rescue plan. They have decided that if they get the chance, they are going to means test Medicare. Means that no matter how much money you spend into Medicare, yeah, you've been paying for it since you were 16 years old. You're now over 65. But unless your income dictates, no matter how much money you put into it, you gonna have you may not get it back. Same thing for Social Security. They want to privatize Social Security, turn it over to the stock market. So the people who've been funding these campaigns, all of this dark money, it'll come to light if they get a chance, because they are going to give the Social Security money to these people to speculate on Wall Street. That's what they want to do when they say they want to sunset Social Security. That's what's at stake here. So people who are looking forward to Social Security retirement, who are looking forward to Medicare that they've been paying for since they were 14, 15, and 16 years old, they better vote like it. And Congressman, before we head out, any final words to voters? I think you summed it up nicely there, but any final words to people watching this? I would say this democracy is worth saving. Unless Tocqueville told us way back when he came to this country and observed what this democracy is all about. He said, America is not great because it is more enlightened than any other nation, but rather because she has always been able to repair her faults. We have faults in our system. COVID-19 revealed some of them. We see the mistake this country made in the election of 2016 revealed some faults. We must demonstrate our greatness by repairing those faults. And the way to do that is to give this Congress, this president, uh, the votes that they need in order to continue our pursuit of a more perfect union. It'll never be perfect, but we should always be in pursuit of perfection. Not give up on it 
and turn to an autocracy because that is where this democracy will die. Congressman Jim Clyburn, a true honor to have you on the Midas Touch podcast. We appreciate you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. There you have it. Jim Clyburn, the House Majority Whip on the Midas Touch podcast, breaking it down, showing what is really at stake here, bro. Amazing. I mean, Clyburn, is he's the kind of guy that when he speaks, you can't help but just listen to and hang on every single word. Truly an honor to have House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn on the show and take his words seriously as we head into these final days before election. Our democracy is at stake here. It is so important that everybody gets out to vote. As we mentioned earlier, we're going to have a episode with Marie uh, Glusenkamp-Perez that comes out on Saturday, so be sure to check our podcast feed for that on Saturday. It's going to be on our YouTube as well. Got an episode coming for you Monday, our last podcast before Election Day, so you know it's going to be a good one. And as we head into this weekend, this is the weekend where we got to hit the ground running. There's no relaxing this weekend, people. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. And this is, as we always say, the Midas Mighty is an active community. So after you watch this, you don't just go on to the next podcast or the next. Now is when you put in the work. So whoever it is that you know who hasn't voted yet, be it a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a colleague, co-worker, whoever, who you think can vote blue, please do your part right now. With the numbers of people who watch this podcast, if you just got two, five, 10, 15, we're talking about millions and millions of people. You know, one of the things I saw, Brett, I don't know if you saw that uh, Fox was getting rid of, I think it was Shepard Smith or whatever, or, yeah. or was demoting him or something. And I looked at his numbers and I was like, we do better numbers here than he does at Fox, Absolutely. you know? And so if our community here gets involved and actually spreads this message, we could be the decision maker. We could be the deciding factor. We could be the X factor that really changes the game. And so everybody, please do what you can to get out people to vote. We would so appreciate that. And also, if you like independent media like this, please go to our Patreon site and become a member of our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. You spell that P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch, M-E-I-D-A-S t-o-u-c-h we are not funded by any outside investors and so all of those big media companies they've got millionaire and billionaire investors who fund those operations the pro-fascist media the both sideisms we do better numbers than them because this is a community of people who love our democracy but we are purely fueled by you And so we would so appreciate your generosity in becoming a member at one of the tiers at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. There's great exclusive content, exclusive merch drops there, behind the scenes footage, Q&A sessions with me and my brothers. There's a tier where you could become an honorary producer and your name appears at the end of the podcast, you get uh, postcards and posters. There's so much great stuff there, but most importantly, it helps grow this independent media platform. So whenever you asked 
Wherever you are in the world and I get asked, hey, we want to help grow this. What can I do? That's really what you can do. So when this podcast is over, please head to patreon.com slash Midas Touch and become a member. We're right so close now. to 2,000 patrons. So, so close, close to 2,000. I think we could hit it. I think we can it. hit it tonight, but we'll see. Also, for the best unapologetically pro-democracy gear, and to be honest, I'm not sure we have that much competition of unapologetically pro-democracy gear, but we probably have the best political gear out there, period. Go to store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Jordy is displaying the I Read Band Books sweater right now or sweatshirt. Um, you can get that. You can get the Convict or Convict 45 T-shirts. You can get a bunch of other shirts as well, including uh, the Row Vember and Row, Row, Row Year Vote shirts. Um, and a bunch of other stuff, store.midastouch.com. And also, please subscribe now to this YouTube channel if you're not subscribed. If you are listening on audio, go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe there. For our YouTube listeners, please subscribe wherever you get the audio as well. We've got a very vibrant, just purely audio community as well who listens to us while they go for walks or in the car or in the kitchen or in the house or just walking around or whatever hobby, whatever you do, but listen to it on both. I think you get a different perspective when you just listen to it on the audio versus the video, but subscribe on both now. We would so appreciate that and leave a five-star review, will you, on the audio and that helps goes a long way. So write a five-star review um, and leave a five-star review wherever you get your audio podcast. So appreciate everybody for watching this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Jim Clyburn. Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Brett and Jordy, great spending time with you. Oh, and most importantly, make sure to vote. Make sure you get others to vote. And Jordy, take it away. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.